So this morning, if, uh, I want to talk to us, of, just start off uh, just with a statement, and you're probably aware of this. We live in a, uh, in a time of uh, what people refer to as virtual reality. You know, we've all heard that term, haven't we? It's all around us. Uh, this, this is virtual reality. This is virtual reality. That is, what is virtual reality? It's not reality. It's something that is supposed to give you an illusion of, of a realistic uh, thing around us. Uh, and many parts of, of our culture are uh, digging deeply into that well of virtual reality. The marketing people use it a lot. They try to immerse you in something that looks real to get you to buy into it. And they have tools. Technology is used a great deal. And we know that the, the, the gaming world, they have headsets and they have all kinds of things that, that will just completely immerse you into this environment, but it's not a real environment. It's, it's uh, virtual in the sense of it looks real and it gives you some sensation of reality, but it's not reality. The, uh, this is, technology is used for education a lot because it does have a purpose. It, it, can, it can allow you to see things that aren't physically in the room with you. When we were in school, most of us probably, if you took uh, a science class, you probably at some point, if you didn't in, engage in dissecting a frog, you were you were at least in the room when it happened, right? And and so you, you got to touch all that icky stuff, if you want to call it that. Well, with a, a virtual with tools that allow virtual reality, you can see someone else do it, and it looks real. It just doesn't have that terrible, awful smell, and you don't have to touch all of that stuff, right? And so there is a place for it in the in the education world. Uh, medical experts that uh, use some virtual tools and that sort of thing. It, uh, Entertainment uses it a lot. The travel industry will use it to entice you to take trips to places you've never been because they can make it look like you're right there. And it just whets your appetite. But what the, uh, uh, this, this non-reality environment, it allows us to temporarily escape real life and go into something that looks better to us in many cases. And I mention this because unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians who are, who they won't call it virtual reality, but it's, it's too easy for us to uh, reject the realities of life and to start uh, to reach a point where we prefer a more comfortable uh, artificial world. And that, it's one thing if the, if the world around us does it, but when we as Christians begin to try and escape the real world in some way or another, to go into an artificial world, then we start having some problems. So what we're going to look at in a few minutes is three different churches that the Apostle Paul called on to awake. He, he essentially said, wake up and face the realities of your Christian responsibilities. You can't be living in a dream world. You can't be living in an artificial world. You've got to live in the real world God will put you in because he's given you a purpose. And so the, the title of the message is simply Christians need to wake up. All of us do uh, from time to time. But first, before we get into looking at those three churches, I want us to look at why it is that, that it's so easy for Christians to get into a world where that's not real. It's, it's somewhat of an artificial or a, a virtual, you might call it that. The reason is that our sinful flesh, our, our sin nature, wants us to live in a world that is tailor-made for us. Would you agree with that? That your sin nature wants you to live in a world that's not controlled by anyone else. It's not regulated by God. It's regulated by you. You set the terms. Uh, you define what is right and what's wrong. And we'll look at that here uh, momentarily. The goal of our flesh is for each one of us to do our own thing. 
The marketing world tells us that, don't they? Do your own thing. Do whatever feels good. Do whatever makes you feel right about yourself. Do you, I've heard this until I'm sick of it, people saying, you do you and I'll do me. No, I think we need to, to back that up. We need to do what Scripture tells us to do, whether it feels good or not, because we have that obligation to the Lord, don't we? Remember, as Christians, we've been saved, but we still have those pesky sin natures that will not go away until we are given our glorified bodies. And so we're stuck with them. As Christians, we're given a new nature. The Lord gives us that holy nature, that nature that wants to serve the Lord and wants to obey Him. But we still got that old nature as well that's battling uh, with us. John MacArthur said this. He said, we sin, and I like the way he put this, because sin is still present in our humanness. It's still there. We've still got that old human nature. He says the mind, the emotions, the body, it's still there. And so we still sin. And our sin natures want us to create these false realities, a fantasy world, if you will, an illusion world, a dream world to a certain extent. And that dream, in that dream world, we come across with this idea, I'm the most important person in the world. We can all go there. We don't want to. But we can all, as Christians even, reach a point where we say, I'm the most important person. Or we can start to live that way and people look around us, people around us look at us and say, what does he, what throne does he think he's on? He's not in charge. The world doesn't revolve around him, but that's what our sin natures want us to feel like. They want us to reach a point where we say, nothing is more important than my pleasure. Nothing is more important than my happiness. Nothing is more important than uh, me uh, getting the recognition that I need for how great I am. Do you ever feel that way? Come on, we, we all have to admit it, don't we? we? We reach that point sometimes. Our old natures want us to. Scripture captures it this way. Proverbs 21, 2. You don't have to turn to these verses. Proverbs 21, verse 2 says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. You know what? I can think I'm really good, but the Lord knows what's in here. He knows it very well, doesn't he? Proverbs 30, verse 12 says, there's a generation that are pure, here it is again, in their own eyes, and yet it's not washed from their filthiness. Solomon was wise when he collected those proverbs. He says, well, there may be filthiness in our lives, and yet we look at it and say, I'm pure in my own eyes. Isaiah 53, 6, a very familiar verse. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Even as Christians, that can happen to us. We can turn our own way. We can... We can live in a dream world because that's where our old nature wants us to be. And it takes God's intervention to deliver us from those lies that our old nature set up, doesn't it? To, it takes God's intervention to get us to wake up from those false realities. Why is it that our flesh or our old nature wants us to live in a, in a fantasy world? I think there's several reasons. One of them is this, because our old nature wants to be in control. And that old nature convinces us that we want to be in control. We want to call our own shots, don't we? Down deep, isn't that what our old nature... Call your own shots. We want to make our own morality. We want to be the ones who uh, have the final authority on what is right and wrong for us. That's what our sin nature wants us to do. So our sin nature wants to be in control. Our sin nature wants us to escape responsibility. As Christians, we know, though... That Christian life brings responsibilities, doesn't it? One of those is obedience. We talked about that last Sunday morning. We have a responsibility as Christians to obey the Word of God. We have a responsibility of discipleship to follow along and learn from the Lord Jesus Christ and behave accordingly. We have a responsibility of witnessing to other people. And we'll be talking about that a little bit tonight, Lord willing.
we have a responsibility as Christians to serve the Lord. And that our new nature wants to. It's our old nature that wants us uh, to go and to escape that responsibility. Instead of that responsibility, our flesh, our old nature, it uh, craves us having a license to do whatever we want to do. It wants us to uh, have liberty, to be freedom, to be ourselves. Again, to be us. I'll do me, you do you, and that sort of thing. Our old nature wants that. Our old nature doesn't want us to have any restrictions. You remember when, um, most of us in here are old enough also to remember when the days when you didn't have to wear a seatbelt in a car when you got in it. You remember those days. And you remember the, uh, the, the excuse. They had commercials trying to convince you to wear your seatbelts because they were safe. And they, and they had somebody in there, and, and the, they were just whining about having to wear seatbelts on the commercials. I remember seeing this, and somebody said, they're so confining. Well, that's what our old nature says. The Word of God is so confining. It puts so many restrictions on us. We don't want that. Our old nature doesn't. And so it wants us to escape that responsibility. It wants us to reach a point where we don't see ourselves accountable to a holy God anymore. That's what our old nature wants. And if we ever get to that point, that's a very dangerous place for Christians to be because that is, that is the time when the Lord will begin to chastise us and draw us back to Himself, isn't it? So our, our flesh, our old nature wants to be in control and wants to escape responsibility. He wants us to, to gain recognition without any commitment to the Lord. That's what our old nature wants. Our flesh pushes uh, things like appearance over reality. It's okay if you look like a Christian as long as you're not actually committing to be, to act like one, and to, to follow the Word of God. It uh, pushes superficiality over actual substance. Our old nature pushes pretense over actual, genuine Christ-likeness. Would you have, wouldn't you have to agree with that? That's what our old natures want. Sometimes people around us, even people who are Christians, sometimes they will look very spiritual. They'll look right, they'll say the right words, they will uh, do good deeds, all of those things, and yet they're not fully committed to Christ. They're doing it all for show so that they can be uh, receive some kind of recognition. Churches are full of these kinds of people sometimes. They just want recognition. They want popularity. They want to have influence without having a true commitment to Jesus Christ. And this is what we're going to get to. Paul says you need to wake up. If you're living in that kind of an ideal or virtual world, that kind of a fantasy world, you need to wake up out of that and get busy with the things of God. So our old nature wants to be in control. It wants to escape responsibility. It wants to gain recognition without true commitment. And it wants to be relieved of the guilt over sin that's in our lives. You know, when as a Christian, if we sin, there ought to be immediate guilt, shouldn't there? Our conscience, uh, as the Holy Spirit guides, it should be all over us as the vernacu common vernacular might be. We shouldn't get away with it. We, uh, are, we need to, we're responsible in this fantasy world, we're responsible to our own definitions of right and wrong. That's what the, the, our old natures want. We define what's right and wrong. Sin becomes what we define it as. No, I'm sorry. Sin is what God defines it as, not me. I, if, I'm, if I'm defining sin, I might... There might be things I like to do, and I'm like, eh, that's not sin anymore. That's not really sin. It's not that bad. We can, if we live in this kind of a fantasy world led by our, our old natures, we can reach a point where we, we start to think in terms like, I'm special to God, so He understands me. It's okay if I act that way, because He knows I'm weak. I have that weakness. and 
he knows I love chocolate so good, and if I just overdo it with chocolate every day, it's okay. No, not if it's gluttony. And it doesn't have to be chocolate. It can be anything, right? It can be anything in our lives that we really enjoy, but the Lord says, nah, that's wrong. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have that in your life. And I'm not saying chocolate is sinful, by the way. I would never say that. I like chocolate too much. But you get my point, don't you? We can reach a point where our old, if our old natures are ruling in our lives, where we say, whatever I say goes, and I leave off what the Lord says. That's what the Holy Spirit, that's, or that's what that old nature wants us to live in, that fantasy kind of world. And the Holy Spirit needs to lead us away from that. We need Him to. So what we're going to look at is three churches that the Apostle Paul saw this kind of activity in. People who were Christians, because see, he's writing these epistles to churches. And he's saying to each one of these, wake up out of this fantasy world you're living in and recognize you have responsibilities to the things of God. So we're going to look at that. God calling churches to, to reality. 1 Corinthians 15, if you'll turn there. Paul told this the church in Corinth, he told them to awake to righteousness. I'm going to read a couple of verses. We know uh, that the church in Corinth was a very wicked place. It was a place of a lot of commerce. There were a lot of uh, people coming and going in and out of that city. There was a lot of money there. There was a lot of false religion there. And so there was a, it was a place of a, a, a great amount of sin, full activity. And even the Christians apparently had, had begun to come back into some of those sinful behaviors. They had begun to, uh, to live in, in some kind of a, a, a false world that their old natures want them to live in. So we're going to look at verse, start reading in verse 13, uh, 33, that is, of 1 Corinthians 15. The Apostle Paul says, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. The Corinthians, uh, the condition that they were in, these Corinthian Christians, we see, you don't have to turn back, but it, for, in uh, 1 Corinthians 3 verse 1, Paul had told them, I, brothers, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal even as unto babes in Christ. He said, you're not maturing. You're still babies in your Christian faith. Your old nature is still far too strong. And it's, it's leading you in places you ought not go. And, and so he's saying, you need to awake to righteousness. They were saved, yes, absolutely. But they were still being guided. They were still being led by their old natures. They were being influenced by the wrong people. To the point that we see in, in uh, Paul's writings to the uh, Corinthians, some of them even doubted the resurrection. They were even doubting the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and the fact that, that uh, Christians would someday be resurrected as well. And so these people had gone a, a, a far too far, so to speak, from where they needed to be. And Paul is, is speaking, speaking to them, trying to get them to come out of that. And he says, you need to wake up. He reminded them. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. I'm gonna give you. A, I'm gonna offer you a paraphrase of that verse. It sounds. It doesn't sound like the kind of English we speak. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Essentially saying this: Don't misunderstand me, Corinthians. Don't misunderstand. Associating with bad companions will shrivel up your good morals. That's a. That's a. That's a Clint McCann paraphrase, and I don't charge any extra for those. I'll just toss those in there. Don't misunderstand, Paul says. If you associate with the wrong people, 
even if you associate uh, too much importance on your old sin nature, it's going to corrupt your behavior, and that's what's happening. And so he says you need to wake up. Essentially, he says wake up and get busy serving your God, because that's not what you're doing now. He says leave your sin and start witnessing. Because we see there in verse 34, Awake to righteousness and sin not, for some have not the knowledge of God. He said, there are people around you, Christians, who don't have a knowledge of God. Now, the people in Corinth, they, they didn't grow up. Um, like If they had been witnessing to people in Jerusalem or somewhere in Judah, they would have grown up with the Old Testament. They would have known what the law of God was. And so it was much easier to, to witness to them. These people in Corinth were people that, witnessed, uh, that worshipped false gods. And he said, there are people around you who don't even know the truth of the real God, and you're not telling them. So you need to wake up. In a nutshell, he was telling the people in Corinth that they could not afford to live in a dream world when eternal destinies were at stake. He said, there's people around you who are marching steadily toward a Christless eternity in a devil's hell, and you're not telling them about it. You're not telling them any different. So you need to wake up. And so that's the first city that we see there in Corinth that Paul gave those that encouragement to wake up and get busy with God's work. Now turn back a few pages, if you will, to Romans chapter 13. Paul had a similar message to the, uh, the Romans, or the church, the Roman Christians in the church at Rome. He told them to, to wake up and put on the armor of light, essentially. We'll start reading in verse 11 of Romans 13. And that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the, whole, the armor of light. Let us walk honestly, as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh, that old nature, to fulfill the lusts thereof. Paul said it's high time to awake out of sleep. Why did he say that in verse 11? He said because our salvation is nearer than it was when we believed. Now that term salvation, it, it has, there's several tenses in the New Testament of salvation. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, first he says, uh, he says awake out of sleep. That carries the idea, that term sleep, of, of this lethargic, this lazy Christian attitude that they were living in. He said, you need to wake up out of that. You need to get busy with the Lord. Um, Kenneth Wiest, in his uh, New Testament Word Studies, he gives us three tenses of salvation. He says, wake up out of your sleep because your salvation is nearer. The past tense of salvation, we call it justification. It's uh, according to Kenneth Wiest. I'm going to read his definition. That's the removal of the guilt and penalty of sin from the believing sinner and the bestowal of a righteousness, Christ Jesus himself, this occurring at the moment of believing. So the moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, that is when you've been justified. Your sins have been forgiven. You've been born again into God's family. That happened in the past. You only do it once. Uh, some teach that you can lose your salvation and you have to go through that process again. That's not what the scripture teaches. It says once you have trusted Jesus Christ, you have been justified in the eyes of God. That's past tense. There is a present tense of salvation. We call it sanctification. Kenneth Weiss defines it this way. The continuous process by which the Holy Spirit puts sin out of our lives. A continuous process. 
It produces His own fruit, that is the Holy Spirit's own fruit, gradually conforming us to the image of our Lord. That's what's happening to us now. We're being sanctified. Uh, we've, we've been saved in the past. Now, in our current life, the Holy Spirit's working in our lives. He's trying to, to change us. He's, he's working in our lives to strengthen our new nature versus our old nature. He's working so that we might be conformed to the image of Christ. That's what's happening now. There's a, present, a future, rather, a future tense of salvation. We call that one glorification. And Kenneth Weiss defines it this way, the transformation of our bodies at the rapture into perfect bodies of a new nature. And that's the, the salvation that Paul is talking about in this section. He says our salvation, that time when Christ comes back to get his people, to give us those glorified bodies where we won't have that old nature anymore. He said that time is getting closer and closer and closer. And when that time comes, it's going to close the door for other people to be saved because they're not going to they're not going to have that witness anymore. And so he says, you've got to wake up out of your sleep and get busy because there's coming a time when we're going to be taken out of this world and we won't have an opportunity to witness to people anymore. Uh, he followed that up with the, these words in verse 12, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. It, it, it's an imagery here of changing clothes, essentially. He's saying... Uh, replace the, the, the garments of dark sin because these, uh, these uh, Roman Christians were actually engaging in sinful practices again. He says, put those things off. That's, that's the dark, that's the dingy, that's the dirty clothes. He said, put those away and in their place, put on the, the clothing, as it were, of light, the light of righteousness, the light of the righteousness of God. That's what you should be uh, putting on in these days. Our flesh tends or our old nature, it builds that imaginary world where to us, if we're not careful, sin starts to look okay. It doesn't look as bad as it used to. That's darkness. That's what Paul is calling darkness. He says you've got to put that off. You've got to get away from that. You've got to recognize that any sin in your life is wrong and you need to get rid of it. And you need to rely on the Holy Spirit to allow you to put on that clothing of righteousness so that you can carry on the work that the Lord set you about doing. Don't, go, don't be sleeping in that, in that sinful world. He said, let the armor of light shine and expose that fake world, that fantasy world for what it really is. And then he says, put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill the lusts thereof. Our old nature uh, will take us down a lustful path every time. And I don't mean that, that term lust in, in simply a sexual tense. I'm thinking uh, that's a, the, the, our old nature will have us lusting after any kind of sin possible, any kind of pleasure, anything that would take the place of God in our lives. That is what the scripture refers to as just lusting after those things. It's like you're panting after something that's, that God says is not good for you. And Paul says, you know, you've got to stop that. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because as Christians, we are not obligated to obey our sinful nature anymore. Isn't that good news? No matter how bad it wants us to do something we shouldn't do, we're not obligated. Before we were saved, we didn't have the, the strength to, uh, to oppose our sin nature. That's who we were. We were sinners by nature. But we have a new nature as Christians, and we don't have to obey that anymore. Paul says, follow Christ instead. In a nutshell... Paul is telling the Christians in Rome that they could not afford to live in a dream world 
when the Lord's return was getting closer and closer every day. He says, you've got to wake up. Recognize He's coming back. You remember what Jesus told the disciples in the parables, the, the teaching that He gave them? He said, you don't know when the, when the Master's coming back. You've got to be ready. Be ready. And Paul was telling them the same thing. Wake up. So you'll be ready when He does come. But in the meantime, you can share the Word of God with these people in Rome that don't even know the true God. We've got to share it with them is what he's telling them. So he says, put on the armor of light. A third church that we read about in the New Testament is the church of Ephesus. So if you will turn to Ephesians chapter 5. To these Christians, Paul told them to wake up and essentially to walk in the light of uh, the Word of God. I'm going to read a lengthier passage here because it, it, it tells us, it gives us an idea of the the Corinthian or the Ephesian church was getting involved in. We'll start reading in verse 3. He says, But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you, as becometh saints, neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. For you were sometimes darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. For it is a shame even to speak of those things which are done of them in secret. But all things that are reproved are made manifest by the light. For whatsoever doth make manifest is light. Wherefore he saith, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead, and Christ shall give thee light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Paul's telling these Ephesians, awake you who are sleeping. You're not following the will of God. You're not doing the work that God left you here to do. Wake up. He says, arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See, like the, like the Corinthians, they weren't engaged in the, the reality of, uh, or the seriousness of life. They were, it's like they're living in this fantasy world where they were making up their own rules and it was okay to sin. It was okay to engage in the things that they used to engage in before they were saved. And he's, he's telling them to wake up from that. They've been uh, saved from sin, and yet they were still holding on to it. And we see that whole list here, and he's telling them, don't do this anymore. Obviously, they had been engaged in it, and Paul had heard of this. And he says, you've got to stop this. You've got to go back to the Lord. They needed to have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, is what he's telling them. He told them in verse 16, he said, walk circumspectly. That means simply guard your testimony. Be careful what you do. Be careful what you, where you go. Be careful what you say. He's even talking about uh, foolish talking and jesting. You know, some people, that's all they want to do is talk, uh, is joke and carry on. He said, be serious with what you're saying. A joke here and there, that's not a problem. But if that's your lifestyle, you don't take anything seriously ever, that's a problem, isn't it, for Christians? And he said, be careful with what you say. Um, Guard your testimony. Then he says, redeem the time because the days are evil. 
That term, we've talked about that term redeemed before. It means to buy something up. It means to trade something you have for something that you want. And as Jesus traded his life, his life blood for us, he redeemed us from the market of sin. And so he said that term, it simply means buy up, redeem the time. The time there is not so much the tick-tock kind of time that you, you think of as a clock. It's not so much as the day or an hour. What it's talking about is, is opportunities that God gives you with the time you have. Every day God gives us 24 hours, and with those 24 hours come a certain number of opportunities. And the Apostle Paul is saying, buy up those opportunities. Be very careful, be cognizant of the opportunities that God's given you. Why? Because he says the days are evil. The real world around them, these Ephesians, Paul is saying this world's getting worse, and it's getting worse day by day. It's getting worse in our time, isn't it? All of these things that we're talking about today, they apply to us as well. The world we live in today is far more evil than the world we lived in a year ago. It is unbelievably worse than it was five years ago or ten years ago. Sin, open sin is rampant in this country. This, is, this used to be a country that could claim to be a Christian nation. But when you think about the crime, when you think about the open sin that is going on around us, it's hard for us to, to make that claim anymore. And it's getting worse. It's increasing. And Paul could see that going on in the days of uh, the Ephesians here. He said the Ephesians needed to give up the fantasy world they were living in that was governed by their sin natures. He said they needed to start facing reality. They had been saved from sin, and so now it was time to put it away. He said, you don't, have to, you don't have to obey that sin anymore. You have that new nature. So put it away and stop toying with it. Stop flirting with it. Stop allowing it in your lives. And then he said the Ephesians needed to start witnessing to lost sinners. His advice was, in verse 17, Be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Again, I'll say it in a nutshell. He was telling the church in Ephesus they could not afford to live in a dream world when the days around them were getting more and more evil every day that passed. And so he told them to wake up. Now as we begin to, to come to a close, uh, we, we've looked at this call that the Apostle made to three different New Testament churches to wake up to the realities around them. Stop living in that lethargic, that sleepy, that fantasy world that you're living in and wake up. We need to be sure that we're awake to the world around us as well, don't we? We've got to be careful about that. Because if, if we leave it unchecked, our, uh, our sin nature is going to lead us to create fantasy worlds too where uh, that revolve around us. They're, they're uh, a fantasy world where sin won't seem so bad. We can all fall into that place if we're not careful. We can fall into a, to a fantasy world where worshiping and serving the Lord don't seem quite so necessary. And I think we see that. Uh, I've made reference to this before um, on the drive down uh, on, on a Sunday morning. We passed several churches and the, the parking lots are almost empty. Isn't that a sad state in America, the United States of America, because people have reached a point, even Christians have reached a point where worshiping and serving the Lord don't seem quite so necessary anymore. If we're not careful, if we allow our sin natures to lead us into a fantasy world, we can enter into a world where winning other people for Christ won't seem quite so urgent anymore. Because our old nature um, will tell us, well, it's not, we don't need to hurry about that. There's, there's more time. 
I think I've told you before, the devil will never tell a person, don't get saved. He'll just say, wait, you don't have to make that decision today. You've got plenty of time. We don't know how much time we have. None of us do, do we? And so the Apostle Paul is saying, wake up. Don't, don't live in some fantasy world. Live in this real world. His, his admonitions apply equally well to every one of us, every church of Jesus Christ. Today, we cannot afford to live in a dream world when eternal destinies are at stake. People are dying every day and going into the devil's hell. And there will be no more hope for them. We can't afford to live uh, in some kind of fantasy world when that's happening. We can't afford to live in a fantasy world when the Lord's return is imminent. If we look at the prophetic record, there is nothing that Scripture says has to happen before the Lord comes back. So what's He waiting on? That, that question comes up in, in your mind sometimes, doesn't it? Why is He waiting? Why <laughs> Things are getting so bad. Why hasn't the Lord come back? I like to think it's because there's people that He wants to save that have not been, they've not trusted Christ yet. And I, I used to hear preachers, they, they said this many years ago, I don't hear as much of it anymore, but they'd say that one of these days that last soul is going to be saved and then the Lord's going to come get us. It could be today, couldn't it? So we can't afford to live in a dream world when eternal destinies are at stake, when the Lord's return is imminent. And we can't afford to live in a dream world when the world around us is getting more and more evil every day that passes. Because people need to hear the gospel. We can't, we've got to wake up and make sure that we're telling them. Every Christian needs to be awake and responsive to the real world that God has placed us in. He put us here for a reason. He put us in this community. He put us in the United States where we still have the opportunity to share our faith. We can do that. And He did it for a reason. So we've got to be sure that we're awake and follow His leading. So I hope this uh, message has been helpful uh, to you this morning um, because it is so easy for us as Christians even to, uh, uh, to, to become lethargic, to become in that sleepy little fantasy world where everything looks good, but the world around us is not good. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank You for the opportunity to be here this morning, to, to hear this message, to see these passages. Father, speak to our hearts. Wake us up. If we've become to be uh, lethargic, I pray that You'd wake us up and make us aware of what's going around us. Uh, eternal destinies are at stake. People around us need to know the Lord Jesus Christ. It can be said of, of our country as it was uh, of those in Corinth. There are people who do not know the true God. And that's to our shame if we're uh, neglecting our opportunities to witness to them. So we pray, Father, that this church would be a faithful witness. We pray that every Christian here would be a faithful witness. Open up opportunities for us to share your word. And then, Father, we pray that you'd help us to recognize when you've opened a door and that we would be faithful to step through that door to share your word. We pray, Lord, that... Uh, that you wouldn't let us get away with, uh, with not following your leading. Make us the Christians that we ought to be. Make us the witnesses that we should be. Father, as we, as we sing a song now, we pray that uh, again, uh, that you would uh, lead us in worship. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.